Welcome to Cromwell Listens for May 20th, 2020. I'm James Neeland. And I'm James Dimitriadis. Today we are pleased to have with us Cromwell Superintendent of Schools, Dr. Enza Macri. We thank her for making space on her busy calendar to speak with us, especially during this current challenging time. Superintendent Macri, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Now, this has been your first year with Cromwell Schools, having served as a principal in the Middletown school system. How has the transition been for you? Um, so, I did transition from a principalship, um, but after the principalship, I was the associate superintendent in Middletown Public Schools. So, I did have some central office experience. Um, but it's been a, a different. It's been a very different role um, from going from associate principal to associate superintendent and um, to the superintendent of schools. Um, as you, as we know, uh, Middletown is different in demographics from Cromwell. Mm-hmm. However, we do still experience. And um, I was surprised, but not so surprised to see um, that obviously we do experience a lot of the same challenges. Our students still are um, students who who have needs, special needs, um, specialized instructional needs, social-emotional learning needs in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, It definitely is a smaller population, and like I said, the demographics are slightly different. However, the needs of our students are very much the same. Um, It's definitely important, uh, it has been definitely important for me to look at the social emotional well-being that has been first and foremost on my mind um, and really just trying to get to know the community and know our students and our families um, and the transition I feel that it's gone well with the unfortunate events it was cut a little bit short with with dealing with everything that's going on with COVID-19 but right. um, getting to know the students and getting to know the staff it's been wonderful and the parents it's a great community and I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Now, you touched on COVID-19. Now, uh, of course, this has been um, a really unprecedented challenge for uh, a a global challenge, really. How would you rate Cromwell School's response to the current crisis? Well, interestingly enough, um, no one, I definitely did not expect to become a first-year superintendent and then have to work through a pandemic. So there was a little bit of... um, it, obviously, I was. It, it was something that was absolutely not expected. Um, everyone coming together, for example, the health department, um, working with Mr. Neshi, working with police, working with our teachers, anyone and everyone that would. Um, everyone has been so supportive. Um, I would say that there's always room for improvement. It was very difficult, um, and when we already knew this before COVID-19, that we did have a shortage of resources as far as Chromebooks and as far as um, devices for our students. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we first decided to close, a, a good thing that we did was we had our students clear their lockers and take everything home, and that was more to make sure we um, sterilized the buildings in, in hopes that we would be back within two to three weeks. So we did a really good job on that part. Um, and then we had to approach with um, optional learning for a, approximately two to three weeks because, like I said, we did not have the resources 
um, and our teachers weren't ready, and nor should they have been, um, for something that turned their their life upside down right. um, and turned all of our all, all of our lives upside down. But they went from our teachers went from doing their job one way to completely changing the way they do their job literally overnight. So the transition, I feel, went as well as it could have gone, considering that we worked closely with the State Department of Education, and I was on the phone with superintendents, still am on the phone with many superintendents, and we're all sharing resources, we're all sharing ideas of how to make it better. Um, we had phase one, then we had phase two, and then we had phase three of distance learning, and we learned more and more as we went on, and that gave us the opportunity to survey our families and ask them what they wanted, what they thought we were doing well, and what they thought we could do um, better with. And, and I was very pleased with the results. Um, they, were, they were very positive. The area where we needed to work a lot in is our, our students wanted to see their teachers. And um, in the beginning, we were slightly concerned because of everything that was happening with um, online platforms, Zoom, um, you know, it wasn't, we didn't feel that it was safe and uh, we worked closely with Zoom um, and once we felt that their, their, the way they were protecting our students, their security systems were better, we felt more comfortable with allowing our students and our teachers to see each other live. And I think that part of phase three has been very, um, very helpful for the, um, really for the mental health, for the socialization piece. The kids get to see each other and it's optional because we have to, have to be very careful with confidentiality um, of our families. And it's the distance learning component is going as well as it possibly could. We have highly engaged, we have highly engaged students and then we have students who are, you know, they're doing their best, they're pushing along, and then we have a list of kids um, that we really need to contact often and, and help them. Mm -hmm. Everyone, it's important to know that everybody's situation, everyone's family situation and dynamics is very different. We have families that have had um, COVID who, um, schoolwork was not the priority. Uh, people who have lost their jobs and some of our students who are working every day in grocery stores. So we, we, feel that we looked at the district um, very equitably and made decisions for all students um, and did the absolute best that we can. Is there room for improvement? There's always room for improvement, absolutely. But I, I can't thank our teachers, our administrators, our support staff um, enough for all that they have done, and our parents um, have been a great support system. Well, thank you, Dr. Macri. That was a very all a really encompassing answer you touched on a great number of topics there and it really sounds like Cromwell schools are doing all that they can that things are really moving along as best as they can now uh this leads us to uh next question as many people in town are wondering and as a good number of folks have, appro have approached us to ask what are the preliminary plans for september or perhaps even earlier so we um I've been working with Scott Carius for camp, so that those um, expectations and guidelines came out first, and obviously we can't have um, a camp without a school system supporting the camp system, so Scott and I are working closely so that we can get students um, to camp, and their guidelines are very specific, um, only 30 students at a site, but they can only be in clusters of 10, um, so basically 
we're talking about 120 students that would be able to access camp, but it's going to look very, very differently. We just found out um, yesterday that we will be able to have summer school. That won't start until July 6th. Mm -hmm. We have not received any other guidelines from the State Department of Education. We, there um, has been some talk um, through CAPS that it most likely will work, like maybe it, it might be a hybrid of distance learning and in-person learning, and it really will depend on the need of the student. So if we have any students, um, it's extended school year, so it's uh, for students with special needs. So if there's any chance of a student being vulnerable, um, uh, not physically um, and fall into the category of it would not be safe for them to come into uh, the environment, um, we would provide a different way of instruction, which is, has been difficult. Um, and and it, it, a lot of our students with special needs have a lot of different needs. They need occupational therapy, speech and language therapy, um, other resources. Um, and it is difficult to do that through uh, distance, distance learning, online learning. So we're hoping for some guidance so that we can get our students into the buildings and how that will look. My my assumption is going to be uh, following the governor's orders very closely is how many students can we have in one room? How many teachers with the student? Will they be wearing masks? Will they have their temp temperatures checked? Will transportation be provided? Those are all questions that we still do not have answers to and we are waiting for them. And I believe uh, we will be having a conference call either today or tomorrow, um, we're just waiting to hear from the State Department of Education as to when we're having our call this week that will help us with um, setting something up that'll work. As far as September, mm -hmm. truly we have just started to put together a team, um, a small team of a reopening. What will it look like? Um, we are at the preliminary stages because there there is there are no guidelines. There's just conversation with a lot of the local, um, like for example, CABE and Connecticut Association of Boards of Education and um, CAPS. I had mentioned that um, and CAST. These are all these are all uh, groups of people in education that are working very hard. And there is a reopening committee at, uh, at the state level for the schools. Some of the ideas that are being thrown around, however, nothing is set in stone, and I don't want for parents that are listening um, to take my words for exact because absolutely nothing has been put in writing. Everything is just um, being talked about because we obviously need to use daily data before we make any decisions. Some ideas have been hybrid. Um, we, how many especially for pre-K through um, five, how many students would we have in person every other day and then distance learning uh, continuing every other day so that there's a smaller group of students? That is a possibility, but then what will that look like as far as um, how right. many teachers we will need to support? Because even if we have every other day um, that we have about 500 students in all of our buildings, more or less, that's still 250 students. Is that an acceptable number to have in our building, and what will that look like? Again, will there be temperature checks? What will the transportation component look like? Um, there are a lot of things to think about, and I truly believe the task force um, that is looking at how we should be reopening schools has, has a 
a huge task in front of them, um, and the districts will be working very closely as well. And eventually, when we have more information, um, we will invite parents um, and community members to be part of this conversation, students, uh, because it will not be that easy. Um, so right now, I would say we have to sit tight and wait for more guidance, and I'm sure, like with everything else, it'll constantly be changing as we develop better ideas. And some parents, frankly, will not, I'm sure, will not feel comfortable sending their children to school regardless mm -hmm. uh, of whether or not we have, if the buildings are open. And we'll have um, a distance learning plan for them um, so that they continue to access their academics. Well, Dr. Macri, you gave an incredibly uh, uh, informative response that pretty much touches on like my next dozen questions, but thank you. But uh, <laughs> Sorry. no, no, please don't apologize. That's what people want to hear. Pa parents want to be reassured. And we all want to know that we're doing this by the book. We're following guidelines and that when schools reopen, we will follow a plan and that people can feel parents, the community can feel reassured. Now, uh, a couple of times you've touched on uh, online learning, long-distance learning. If, if this is not an unfair question, how would you compare classroom learning versus online learning? And do you think there may come a time, based upon your educational experience, that uh, you see traditional, conventional classroom learning being merged with online off-site learning? Um, no, I think that's a very fair question to ask. Um, as educators, we have we think about this uh, very often, and I, I think the the most important thing, first and foremost, um, there are there definitely is no substitute for a teacher. Um, there's absolutely no substitute for what, and we've noticed that over the last couple of months, especially for what the school provides to children. Um, it takes a village to raise a child, and the, the number one thing that will help a child learn is the relationships that they build with the adults, and mm -hmm. you can't do that with a computer. Um, now, is there absolute opportunity for, um, for, for a blended learning component, which is obviously um, can be used in the classroom and outside of the classroom, a virtual learning piece? Absolutely, and, and we definitely want to, and we do, incorporate that into our classrooms right now. Um, the blended learning component looks a little bit differently. So we talk a little bit about if you're in school um, and you're, we do a station rotation model, which really we have students who, a small group of students working with the teacher based on whatever their needs are at that time, and you're rotating through different stations of uh, practice or um, Whatever, whatever you need to do at that point, research. Mm -hmm. And then you, you still have the artificial intelligence component, which is through technology. So that piece offers a variety of ways to differentiate that we as humans, it is, it is, it is very difficult um, to differentiate for every student in your classroom every day, all day long. So the fact that we do have virtual learning pieces and, and programs out there um, and infusing them into the classroom setting is is very important but it cannot um, replace the teacher it cannot it, there, there's no there's absolutely no way that those programs will only do um, what the teacher 
helps it do with that child. Right. It can't just be the child in the program. And so in this situation, we have had to move to um, distance learning and virtual learning. However, like I, I, I stated, there's no substitute for a school. Um, and if anything, we have just been proven that we absolutely need um, our traditional and non-traditional way. We need our schools. Um, we can all, we, we need to change based on what our students need. Um, and definitely there is a place for the differentiation tool to be used. However, um, I don't see this changing in any, any time soon. Mm -hmm. I sure hope it never takes over. Um, our students need the socialization. They need the friendships. They need their support of their teachers. Um, as many adults that can possibly support them in their learning. Um, but there is a component, there is a place for blended learning. It does support differentiation. Um, but uh, I, I guess I'll leave it at, at that, is that it is incredibly important to have a live teacher working with you, um, especially, especially for our students, all of our students, but our students with special needs. Um, you, it's, it's very difficult to incorporate speech and language pathology, OT, any occupational therapy, any other extra services that our students with special needs may need um, virtually. It, it's, it's not all that helpful. So I think there's a place for it. However, um, I do not see schools going away anytime soon. This discussion is akin to that old, um, that old line about, you know, about, uh, about conventional paper-bound books being replaced by e-books. I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, the technology of a book, a bound book, I don't think will ever leave us. And I agree. I don't think the idea of a bricks and mortar building, a place for learning, will ever quite leave us. Because it's more than just learning. It's, as you said, socialization. It's the idea of kinship. It's the idea of uh, growing personally and interpersonally. So, yeah, I don't think it will ever quite leave us. Now, no. <laughs> Segwaying into this at school, uh, the big question, um, could you tell us about the graduation plans? Sure. So it's been a hot topic yeah. um, for every superintendent yep. across the, the state of Connecticut. Um, we have had many different ideas. Um, Mrs. C. Fiori and Mr. Cuckle, assistant principal and principal, um, teachers and a group of students have been working for approximately over six weeks um, to develop a plan that they feel that they can live with. Now, obviously, there were boundaries. Um, we had to follow and we must follow the governor's uh, his orders, especially the one that's very difficult is um, Executive Order 7X. It's very important for, for people to understand that um, you must be six feet apart in a social um, gathering is five people. So mm -hmm. you can't choose one or the other. Right. You can't say, well, we're six feet apart. So it doesn't matter if there are 150 of us or 1,000 if, if that included all the families and the guests. Um, and that was something really, really difficult to try to explain. And understandably so. Um, I understand, too, why can certain people be open and you can stand six feet apart in stores and lines, but why can't we have a graduation um, on Pearson Park Field, which was my first thought as well mm -hmm. when this all happened, put everyone, you know, have the kids, the students, the seniors six feet apart, set up a stage, 
and, you know, get a screen and let's let's see if we can make this work. But as the governor's orders continue to come out, um, we quickly understood that a lot of these ideas were definitely not going to um, come to fruition. So our students gave many opinions on what they wanted, and then the the administration said, well, we, that, that, we can definitely do that, but we can't do this. So the, it took time for the students, too, to really process. Well, we're involved, but you're telling us we can't do all of this. And the students that were involved really finally came to a place of, yes, we don't love this, but this is truly all we can do if we stay within the guidelines of the governor's orders. Um, so the, the Commissioner of Education and the Connecticut Health Department did put out a memo recently with a lot of guidelines, even examples for families to really understand um, what we can and can't do. And we at this point are, are doing um, a drive-by. So there's two pieces to the, to the graduation ceremony, um, and it still may change. Um, but right now we are having a drive-by where our students um, will drive in a, a, they'll have a drive-by, they'll drive by their four schools because traditionally they, their teachers, they've gone to the schools and walked through the schools and their teachers got to, you know, congratulate them because mm -hmm. they've mm -hmm. had all of them. Um, but we're hoping to do that at around 3 o'clock on June 15th where the students will be able to drive by and go and really have that opportunity to wave to their teachers and, and say goodbye to them. And then what will happen is our students will go home and they'll wait to be called by um, alphabetical order mm. and they'll be given specific times to come to the high school. And that, that graduation ceremony will look a little bit um, very, it'll look very different. I don't want to say it'll look a little different. It's going to look very different. Um, students will be able to come with their families, um, and they will drive up. We'll have about 20 students on deck waiting in their cars. Families will drive through with the graduate. The graduate will be the only person to be able to get out of the car in front of the high school. They will walk across the stage. They will get their diploma. Um, Mr. Snipes has been taking our pictures for years. We'll, we'll take a, a picture of the graduate, and the graduate will get their yearbook and then proceed back to their car and then go home. And that'll happen with every student, every graduate. Um, that is pretty much the most we can get approval for right now. And I, um, myself, Mrs. DeFiori, and Mr. Cuckle worked very closely with um, the police department and Mr. Neshi, our health coordinator, to develop this plan every step of the way. Um, it sounds so simple, but there's a lot of detail that goes into planning something of, of, of like this. Mm -hmm. um, and we wish we could do more. There's nothing, the last thing I would want, it's my first year as a superintendent, I, the last thing I wanted was to tell my first class that you can't have your traditional um, graduation. It's heartbreaking, and right. it's, it's, it's a very emotional topic for everybody. Um, but it is, we have to follow, we have to be lawful, and we have to do... Um, what is in the executive orders, and, and we are doing that. So June 15th is the date? June 15th, 3 o'clock. Um, and, of course, there can always be changes because everything changes. 
day. There, we also have a rain date of June 16th. Um, but the students themselves uh, will drive by the four schools and be able to wave to their teachers, and then they'll proceed home and wait for their time slot, which will, will begin promptly at 4. And we're assuming that this graduation is probably going to take us at least um, three hours at the least, maybe maybe more, because every graduate is coming up by themselves well, um, like to a, receive their diploma. And parents are able to like stay in their cars and take pictures. In terms of timing, that's pretty much akin to a regular ceremony, you know, two, three hours. And yeah. I'm sure it's going to be a great day for all concerned, students, parents, staff, for everybody. We're going to do the best we can for everyone, but we also know and empathize that this is not ideal. And I've also said I'm not closing the door if, when, when, if um, and when the restrictions loosen to where we can have 125 students in one place. It could be three months from now. It could be six months from now. Mm-hmm. It could be a year from now, a right. reunion. We are more than happy. The school is more than happy to work with um, this class this class and plan something with them so that they can see each other and truly have a formal closure and goodbye. Well, Superintendent Macri, it really was a pleasure to speak with you today. And I'm sure your words have helped to reassure many parents that the Cromwell school system has matters under control, or as they say, you got this, you got this. Exactly. (laughs) We're on it. You're on it. (laughs) Now the question, our final question we ask all of that we ask all of our guests, and it's a softball, is uh, what do you like most about Cromwell, or perhaps specifically geared for the superintendent, what is it about Cromwell Public Schools that makes your job worthwhile? I was the principal at Lawrence School, which is on the border of Cromwell Public Schools, and we did share a lot of students back and forth, um, students that would come from Cromwell and move into Middletown and vice versa, and I got to know a lot of the dynamics of the school system. I worked with the um, with the administration a lot on the needs of our students, and I thought, gee, this, this would be an excellent place to work. Um, things are things are definitely changing. I noticed that a lot of our, uh, the, the population of English language learners was uh, increasing in Cromwell, and that is an area of strength for me, uh, being an ESL student myself. So I just said, if, if Cromwell came up, I, there's so much about the community that I really like, and the support from the and the, and the, the hard work from the teachers, um, it, it just really was very appealing to me. So when the position opened, um, everyone said, hey, you always said you would, you would you would apply, are you going to? And I, I said, absolutely. This is uh, a district that I believe that I would really like to work with and that I can bring something to and that I can learn from as well. So being here has been a wonderful experience. It's been great getting to know families. Unfortunately, I haven't gotten to know as many as I would like to. Um, and we have an incredible group of students. I've spent some time with students at the high school, particularly working with small focus groups, um, talking a lot about inclusion, and um, they are incredible, incredible students. Um, we talk a lot about social and emotional mental health. I've had a lot of students ask to have one-on-ones with me about what we can do better in Cromwell Public Schools for our students. And, and that's one thing that has come out tremendously is how do we help them 
staff, not only with their academics, but the social-emotional learning part. Um, and that's the part that I that I feel very strongly about that is needed. Um, and I do believe that I was brought here for a reason, and I truly believe that's that's it. But it's it's a great place. The parents are wonderful. The kids are great. The administration, I couldn't have asked for more of a supportive team. Um, the teachers, unbelievable what they give to their students every single day. Um, and our support staff has been amazing, too. The Board of Education has treated me wonderfully, and I'm so happy that they gave me this opportunity, um, and I'm glad to be here. Well, Superintendent Macri Cromwell is lucky to have you, and we were lucky to have you join us today for our podcast. Thank you very much. It really was a pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it very much as well. Thank you. Take care. Well, that was a really wonderful interview, James. I think you can tell the passion that Dr. Macri has for our students and our uh, our schools here in town. Um, and I really appreciate her taking the time to talk to us and explain the different pieces of information that she's making uh, use of in order to make her decisions and the Board of Ed in order to make their decisions. Uh, I recognize it's a fluent situation. Um, and anything that happens today, could we could have different information tomorrow. But I really appreciate her talking us through her thought process and her background uh, and her approach to each of the different issues. Complete agreement. And what you just, what you just touched on there, James, and what other people are thinking is, yes, we can plan, but we can't prognosticate. We can't predict. Things could change daily, weekly. Things could change hourly, really. We're dealing with a situation as you said, that's fluid. And Dr. Macri was able, I think, to reassure people that, yes, Cromwell School System has this. We, we got your back. We got your children's back. And we're going to follow state guidelines, local guidelines, mandates, and we're going to make sure that the schools will be safe for your children when they reopen and that you can rely on Cromwell Schools as you, as you had, had, have always been able to. And you're right. It's a fluid situation. Things change. But I think Dr. Macri, I think she's on top of this. I agree. And I guess for that wraps up our session this week um, for May 20th. Well, James, and wait, I wait, wait. everyone wait. To, for listening today. Wait, James, there's one more thing we got to handle. What is it, James? You know, given that we're both named James, we need to develop a system, maybe a code, so that our listeners may differentiate between you and me. They can't see us, only hear us. While you figure that out, James, let me just say this. This is James Demetriotis. And this is James Neeland, thanking you for spending some time with Cromwell Listens, the podcast about town. Hey, James, how are we going to do this? Together. We will do this together. Together. Till next time, folks, be well.